Welcome to Remote First, a podcast about designing a workplace that is transparent, inclusive, and empowered to work remotely. I'm your host, Daphne Laforet. Hello, happy new year. Yes, we are finally in 2021. I'm wishing you the best year. This is the very first episode of Remote First, and I'm so thrilled to launch this podcast. It's been sitting on my heart for too long, and I'm glad to be doing it in collaboration with Remotive.io. During this first season, we will have amazing guests from company founders and leaders of remote and hybrid companies. We will discuss hot topics such as remote leadership, radical candor with a special guest, the impact of remote work on diversity and inclusion, the debate around salary and compensation in a remote setup, and many other challenging subjects you might have had to assess last year and will have to assess at some point. What I really wish with that podcast is to provide you with key action points from experienced leaders to apply within your own workplace reality. So again, this is brand new, so we would love to get your feedback and suggestions, so please don't hesitate to reach out. Since you'll hear my voice a lot in this podcast, let's get to know each other a bit more. I am Daphne Laforet, I am Canadian from Montreal, see the little French accent, and I am based in Berlin, Germany. I have been working remotely since the beginning of my career, for various company sizes, mainly in product. I have made that choice of working remote very early on because I wanted to fit work around my lifestyle and not the other way around. So when it started, for me, travel has always been my thing and two weeks of holiday a year, which is what you typically get in Canada, simply wasn't enough to see the world. So one plus one is equal to, I had to find a way to work in a way that would let me travel at the same time. This was the base of everything. So when I was younger, this is what pushed me into getting in that field or in that solution of work. And today, I am supporting organizations in the implementation of remote-first strategies in their business-as-usual processes. So on this note, let's kickstart our first episode of Remote First. In March last year, we were announced with a pandemic alert. And suddenly, tons and tons of companies actually every company had to let their employees work from home. And people discovered months of forced work from home. They had to tackle homeschooling, childcare. They had to find a way to work on their kitchen counter. They were kind of learning remote work the hard way and they were hoping that this would only last for a few weeks. Well, this wasn't the case, wasn't it? So last year, we've seen multiple large companies starting to launch remote-first programs, such as Dropbox, Shopify, Reddit, and Slack, just to name those. And this is huge because we're seeing them taking the lead and then showing that they are wanting to embrace this change and then change the way their company works to be able to continue to thrive. Others went for a more temporary solution, such as Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, and Google. But did they really have a choice? Not really in the end. <laughs> so we've seen the workplace going into a 360 transformation last year, and this opened up a variety of challenges that had to be tackled seriously in order for companies to simply continue to thrive. We are now in January 2021, back into full lockdown in many countries. Companies now need to get out of this reaction mode. This is only temporary mindset. 
the workplace is changing. To talk about this today, I'd like to introduce you to my first guest, Rodolphe Dutel, who is the founder of Remotive.io, the world's largest remote work community, and a website that is listing thousands of new remote jobs globally. Rodolphe is to me one of the most industry aware I know of, and it's a total pleasure to have him today. So let's start here. Welcome, Rodolphe. How are you doing? It's going well. Paris is in lockdown right now, so it's a little bit different from what we had before, but 2020 has been such a crazy year that it's not the first time. So lucky enough to be working remotely, lucky enough to be working in tech. So overall, I'm doing pretty good. And after the crazy 2020 we had, I think that 2021 can only be better. So I'm excited about that. It's crazy how 2020 has been. It's just been kind of a game changer in everything. And I mean, in every sphere of the world, but especially in our sphere of remote work or the workforce in general, it's been really crazy. It has been a crazy year. I remember looking at press release in January saying that, oh, there may be something happening in China and Facebook is going to suspend its employee from flying to China in late January, early February. And that was huge. I mean, that in itself could have been a big update on the fact that we would have a couple of weeks of remote work just because a major company had to do things differently. But little did we know, it was only the beginning. And big, medium-sized, large companies, we all had to embrace forced work from home which is slightly different from chosen and mindful remote work, but certainly it's been a ride for everybody. And considering the stress everybody's been under, I feel like work has changed dramatically in such a short amount of time. You've been also predicting this. Like I remember in January, exactly what you're saying. You posted that on Twitter and you were kind of saying, I'm predicting that companies will have to move to remote work in, in some way. And you basically predicted it because in March then everybody went remote and it became something that came from, you know, a bit different from everybody. Like, oh, these people are doing a different way of working, working remote is kind of a uh, different setup. And then everybody's saying now, okay, this is now the new norm. This is the new normal. That's so true. I spent most of 2019 discussing what remote work meant for companies. And when you look at major sources, such as Stack Overflow survey, talking to tens of thousands of developers, in 2019, remote work was a perk. It was something you would add as a bullet point to a long list of things you'll offer to people. Maybe you'll offer them health insurance, 401k, uh, you know, two vacation per year, and remote work as a perk. And all of a sudden, we had that shift when it became contingency. It be became business continuity to be able to still let people work, even though things were falling apart. And the transition from a nice to have to, oh, how do I do this? I have no idea where to get started was certainly very brutal for most because a lot of people did not have the muscle memory to say, I wake up, it's Monday morning, it's 9 a.m. How do I do this? Usually I rock up at the office, you know, get coffee, go to the water cooler, start chatting with Bob about the weekend, but not anymore. Like if you're remote, if you are self-motivating if you do not know what's going to happen next week which was the added layer of uncertainty we had throughout 2020 like how do you even start this so a lot of people have been real troopers in the sense that they had to adapt real fast i think we've seen that human beings are very resilient they just went with it and found solutions where before many were just 
reluctant or kind of not trusting of this remote distributed way of work and suddenly they they just embraced it because they had no choice they were just had to do that to survive and and now we're seeing you know i think as you said you know people were struggling learning work from home the work from home struggles and now all these companies that you're listing that are just completely shifting their business operation strategies to now saying, okay, we need to tackle this as a new business challenge completely. Yeah, so the transition was quite astonishing, really. Like remote work went from being a perk to being a business contingency slash business continuity scenario to employees starting to embrace it and saying, well, at the end of the day, we're creature of habits as well. So yes, we're resilient. But we've had the big business ticking for several months now, and we have not been back to the office because we couldn't. And guess what? We're still turning a profit. We're still operating. We're still innovating even. Mm. So taking all that, they went to HR, they went to CFOs that, by the way, are desperate for saving money because a financial crisis is looming. And all of a sudden, it became a cultural and a business case to say, can I also as a startup, reflect my user base by hiring developers and employees everywhere? Can I allow people that are today in New York City or Berlin to go to the countryside? Can I accompany them without having to fire them because they're not going to show up to my office anymore? And all those odd conversation and edge cases about one person willing to move for convenience or because they wanted to, well, it became a necessity. So it's not something you can choose to address or not. It became a new norm. And everybody felt, I think, compelled to say, you know, we used to do things in person. And today we have something called Zoom fatigue, where someone's going to be exhausted by spending however many hours just chatting on Zoom day in, day out. It's a new reality. And it's really hard to go and see someone who works in a uh, white collar job and tell them, of course, you've done well working remotely for six to nine months in 2020 but you're gonna to have to go back to the office because that's the only way we want you to work. So at best, we'll have companies going full remote and all the alternative would be hybrid companies or companies with more flexibility, but there's no real scenario where we just go back nine to five, driving in and out to the office each and every single day because the flexibility that came with it, the willingness to see something different and to have ownership uh, over your agenda and to be able to do and organize yourself however you want, I think that became not only something we had to do, but something we want to do at the end of the day. I mean, it becomes something that is mandatory now for the future. If actually companies want to compete as well, talent-wise, I feel also that the fact that these big players, these massive companies that you would never think would go full remote, the fact that they decided, okay, we are now either remote first or we are going fully remote. I think this had a quite a big influence on the rest of the of the world. Do you feel like these big companies like Shopify and Microsoft, Dropbox, uh, what do you think they will be having as an influence on the rest of the workforce? Those huge tech companies had to do something quite dramatic. Most of them have been very, very campus heavy and presence heavy. When you think about the infrastructure that Apple's been building for $2 billion, that Google's been building mm. in Mountain View, and so on and so forth. You get to see almost a replica of colleges and universities that those companies wanted to build so that basically young graduates will have a 
continuous experience leaving university and college and going to work as those large companies. So at the very beginning, it was a bit unsettling because office and real estate was everything there was about brand identity. But slowly but surely, due to the pandemic, things moved online and company had to take stance. Twitter, uh, Dropbox, Shopify, saying they want to work remotely and be virtual first. It's seeing those large companies trailblazing and saying, I'm a profitable company turning in hundreds of million or billion dollar profits and I can make remote work. So it's sending a very strong signal to everyone inside and outside of the tech industry when they're thinking about, okay, I'm a consulting shop in the UK. I need an extra person in my team that basically speaks English and can do the job, but they won't have to come to the office. Now, you have a scenario, you have an opportunity to say, I could be hiring this person anywhere around the world. I need them to speak my language. I need them to understand how I do business, but it could be anyone basically. So you don't have to restrict your talent pool anymore. And every time a Twitter or a Shopify goes remote, you got hundredfold small startups, small consulting shop that are starting to think, how about me? Can I do this? Can I pull it off? So they're really acting as beacon and I think they're paving the way uh, for more companies to go remote as well. All these companies have been going for a remote first approach. When they do that, how do you see exactly the difference between these companies that say we are remote first versus fully remote? How do you see Dropbox and Shopify? Do you think they will completely delete their offices or they probably will change their processes? What exactly is the setup? So. Typically, what we've seen a lot is that remote-only remote, remote only teams, remote-first teams, have been remote-first from the very beginning. So there are a number of individuals that join that company self-selecting, knowing that they will not be offices and that they will be working remotely amongst each other. The difference with huge companies such as you know Dropbox and Shopify is that you may have hundreds of thousands of employees that did sign up to go to the water cooler, the designer to talk to their colleagues. So I think there's some empathy building in larger companies that's saying, of course I could go full remote, but am I gonna be allowing employees that want to be going to the office and want to collaborate? Am I still gonna be inviting those? And if so, I need to rethink my offices. It's a, for instance, Reddit published something in November, 2020, and they said, we're gonna change our offices. Our offices are gonna be creative spaces where you drop by as a team and sometimes you innovate. Dropbox has been on the same path. Oftentimes it's because of cultural reason. They wanna have a smooth continuity. They know they may lose people that prefer going to the office, but they're happy to commit. But it also for real estate commitments. We've seen Pinterest paying, I don't wanna get the number wrong, but out of memory, I think it's $80 million to get, a, to get out of a lease in San Francisco that is a huge amount of money to pay, but at the end of the day, it's worth it for them because it fits their strategy and they want to be more remote, so it's understandable. So seeing what commitment you have, seeing you know Apple having a $2 billion headquarter, they're very heavy in real estate, so chances are they want to keep that in their DNA to have that innovation of bouncing, bouncing on people in the corridor, whereas others, they're very scrappy or lighter or they have less commitment and they can allow themselves to go remote. So I think a lot of us in the remote community would like to think that there's only a almost a mentality decision on saying, 
I'm gonna shift my culture, I'm gonna go full remote, but we really need to look at the legacy situation, which means the current employee willingness to go remote and what they want to do together with the financial implication of it. Because in the end, it doesn't mean that you have to go fully remote, you know, and say like, okay, we're ditching the office. I really like what you just said about they want to create a creative space where people can come and create together and collaborate because they want to have this human connection, which they they are missing or lacking in remote uh, in a remote environment. It's not we cannot deny that a remote workplace is not as human as when we were all in the same room. It's definitely not the same thing. So I think to see that these companies are keeping their office, but then approaching with a remote first mindset, which is we are enabling employees to choose wherever they want to work and we're still keeping a space for them to meet in person if they want, but then all their processes and all the business operation strategies are all thinking that everybody's remote, whatever they are in, in the same country, another country, in the same city, this is the same uh, for everyone. Now, if we move towards those companies who in last year, 2020, were saying, we are going to allow remote work until sometimes in 2021. <laughs> and we're not necessarily ready to jump uh, full front and saying, okay, we're gonna approach a remote first mindset. Like, what do you think about that kind of approach for these these companies? I think a lot of companies want to have a phased approach, mostly because they don't know what's going to happen. So they want to be very cautious. They're also careful about setting a precedent because as soon as you say you can be full remote, your people ops department is going to be flooded with people that want to move across states in the US, across countries around the world. And you open up yourself for a lot of edge cases, not only in compensation, mm. misclassification, equity awards, local perks, um, you know, if you employ someone locally in France, uh, maybe you'll have different laws around letting them go. So if you're lawfully set up there, that's great. If you have an employee that decide to go there as a pilot employee, the first person is going to go and be in this country, you got to make sure you get the right counsel. So I feel like a lot of companies have been pushing the builder down the road and saying, we'll see how this pans out. By the time we have to make a decision, we will have a sufficient number of billion dollar tech companies that would have had those programs running for years solid. And we can either hire the person that did the transition at those companies or learn from their mistakes. So the early adopters were probably more in tune with what's, what's gonna happen or just more ready from the business practices whereas others have really been coasting. And the funny thing I can say is that so many large companies committed to go remote in 2020. Now, here's something interesting. Look at those press release and then wait for a year. And after a year, go to the C-level suite of those companies and see how many of those C-level executives are working remotely full-time or most of the time. And that's what's gonna really tell you whether the company is has gone remote or whether business is still being done on premise behind closed doors and they have a somewhat externalized slash remote friendly workplace. There are no bad answers, but mm -hmm. if you want to look at the reality of the business, wait for a year, look at the seal of a suite. Which kind of brings the topic of transparency and trust and basically how 
this fully remote setup can really lead to more transparency since we don't have necessarily decision taken behind closed doors or since remote work needs to make people communicate more uh, in written communication online and make sure that everything is communicated. So what do you think people have learned in the past, you know, in 2020 while they were transitioning and all different companies that jump into re remote work completely blinded and just trying it out? Like, what do you think were the learnings from these companies? I think that we've seen a very big difference between transparency and clarity. What I mean by that is most remote companies or companies that were remote before COVID wanted to have some degree of transparency in how they worked because it was part of the DNA or part of the values they were defunding. What happened with COVID is that a lot of companies did not have time to adapt their values or just to change the way they were doing. So they had to bring in more clarity just because they were not seeing each other in person. So to get the business ticking, you needed to have clarity, but that did not necessarily push it as far as transparency, which means explaining the why behind your decisions. Clarity is giving clear instruction. Transparency is hearing the full story. And I think we're seeing the first cohort of remote employee that needs to have clarity, but not necessarily transparency. And that's a different take because it's mostly comes from the fact that we've had forced work from home in 2020, where you were sheltering in place, where you did not have access to a co-working space, where maybe uh, we had to adapt very, very fast instead of having time, going to a co-working space, choosing our policies and discussing things in and out. So since we had to hit the ground running, um, not everybody has been very transparent. And the consequence has been that uh, a lot of the questions that employees had, such as, I'm remote for now, am I still going to be remote a year from now? Or should I invest in my home office because I'm spending months there, but is my company going to pay for it? Or I would like to be remote, but if I'm remote, do I still have the same chances to get promoted as if I were sitting in the office? And all those things are edging on the difference in clarity and transparency, which makes it a bit tricky for employees to find their feet. So as we get a little bit more experience, I feel like in a crisis management lens, we've done great. In a, uh, you know, in a full fulfillment and happiness and employee way, we could be doing better and experience is going to improve. What I can tell is at the end of 2020, I'm seeing hundreds of articles on topic covering well-being and remote work that I did not see just a year ago. So we're entering the second phase where we had the crash test and now we're starting to breathe, starting to do adjustment to make this right. And I hope that we're going to make this right in 2021 because if we go into overdrive and just you know, stick remote work because we cannot get out of the door just because of the pandemic, it's not going to be great long term for anybody. So what would you think about 2021? Like, how, what should we do this year? What should we, what should we do to move on and continue to, to evolve in a positive way in this kind of new distributed way of working, distributed work? I think we're going to be trying to do a different, like a number of things. First, I think the hybrid approach is going to be very interesting. You have a very large number of people that want to go back to the office as soon as it's safe to do so. And I'm not only talking about management. I'm talking about a number of colleagues that want to go back. Today, due to the health situation, most people are remote. Tomorrow, we're going to have to work 
and learn to collaborate as a hybrid team. That's going to be different. That's going to be an adjustment. We're also going to be thinking about asynchronous a lot more. How are we going to be able to work across time zone without having this Zoom fatigue we were talking about at the beginning? Can you be a productive and happy remote team without having up to five hours a day of meetings? I think a lot of people, and that's very normal, went to meeting more than they should have to maintain human connection and to sort of make sure that business was still going and make sure they could still relate with other people. Maybe it's going to be uh, doable to continue at this rhythm for some, but not for all. So I feel like we're going to be shifting down and certainly trying to look at what has worked for other teams. Just for as a reminder, you have teams such as GitLab with uh, about a thousand employees and Automatic with roughly about the same. Both have valued over a billion dollars and both have been doing remote work for a very long time. I'm not saying they are the only one, but I'm saying this has worked at scale with companies worth billions of dollars. Now, 2021 is also the year where we've had a lot of declaration of intent last year. Mr. Zuckerberg said that Facebook is going to be the most forward-leaning company of its size in terms of remote work, <laughs> which resulted in a job position for a director of remote uh, that was to be hosted in Menlo Park, California, which is an audacious choice, if you ask me. I really also who has what that it's been like up also for months without being hired. It just seems like it's just been there for a show and not necessarily as a real role. That's it. I mean, when entire comes down, you see who's swimming naked. So at the end of the day, you're gonna get to see who's gonna make good on their promise. And I feel like the crazy thing is that talent migration, and I'm talking about qualified talent, especially in tech industry, is at the very beginning. Tomorrow, if Facebook doesn't treat you right anymore, as an example, you can easily move to Idaho, Montana, rural Germany, and make the same money or almost the same money. Besides, you'll be able to have breakfast with your kids in the morning. So a lot of people priority shifted, and I feel like the Bay Area is still going to be great if you're looking for mentorship, if you're starting off your career and you want face-to-face -face learning, if you're raising capital, or if you're a, a an executive making over $500,000 a year, it's going to be the place to go, no doubts. But if not, if you fall into any other category, I argue you could have a long and happy career away from the eye of the storm and anywhere you like. And I think that's going to be very different because before I was making lists. You know, 2016, I listed 200 companies that were hiring remotely. Two years later, it was 600. And interestingly enough, 2019, I had 900. 2020, at the beginning pre-pandemic, I was at 2,500. Right now, I'm, I'm up wow. at several tens of thousands. And I, I'm very far from catching them all. So when you look at that, the optionality is going to be great. And I think for talent development, being from the US or internationally, Employment, employment of record is easier, international perks is easier, talent migration is easier, the tools we're using day in, day out are easier to collaborate and to talk with one another. So bright future ahead for 2021 when it comes to remote work. Well, thank you so much, Rodolphe, for sharing all your thoughts today and we're really looking forward for 2021. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Remote First. You can find all links and show notes in the episode description. 
And if you found value in this show, we'd love your rating on your listening app of choice. Thank you for being here. See you next time.